welcome again, Amanda Rabal. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you for joining us at midnight in France. Um, we're very <laughs> lucky. Um, Jill, why don't you lead us off? Sure, 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 sure. First of all, where exactly in France are you? Are you in Champagne? No, unfortunately not. I wish I was. It would be a wonderful time of year to be there. Mm. But yeah. I'm actually down in a little island called Corsica in the south oh. of France. Oh, wow. oh yeah. just that my... little, little island Corsica. <laughs> oh, beautiful. <laughs> just with my mother-in-law. So we're having a family Christmas. It's the first time in seven years since we've been able to come back for Christmas, mostly due to COVID. But, um, yeah, so this is actually the first time I've left Australia and come to France since um, lockdown. So it's very exciting. Mm. Oh, that's wonderful. Look, Corsica is absolutely stunning. What a beautiful place to celebrate Christmas and New Year. Yeah, it is lovely here. It's very rustic and especially this time of year, it's not very touristy. So mm. it's it's mainly just locals and um, people going about their business. And um, yeah, it's really lovely. So how do you, how do you celebrate Christmas and New Year there? Is it um is there a, a few traditions they stick to or what is it? Yeah, look, most I guess every family has its own traditions, but generally in France they do celebrate Christmas on Christmas Eve. They have their big um mainly seafood. They'll have all the lovely like the caviar and the lobster and um something really beautiful and and the good champagnes and everything on Christmas Eve. Mm -hmm. uh, depending on the age of children, they might open one present on Christmas Eve and then, um, you know, Santa, they still have Santa, Father Christmas comes overnight. So the if you've got little kids, they'll open all their presents on the Christmas morning and then they'll have um, Christmas lunch is the usually the bird, whatever type of, there's all different sorts of poultry that they have here that's, um, that we don't tend to have in Australia. Not very often turkey but um, different types of, of bird, gamey bird that they have um, yes. with the big roast on Christmas Day. And then New Year, they tend to, um, if you're going to have New Year's with, it's usually with friends. So Christmas is usually with family and New Year's often you will celebrate with friends and you'll have a big meal and you'll start, you probably won't even start on trays until about nine o'clock at night. And it'll just keep going and keep going until midnight. And then you don't even start dessert until about one o'clock in the morning when you're with friends. Now, <laughs> that won't be my new. Oh, lucky yeah. if we make it till 10 o'clock, but we'll see how we go. <laughs> uh, so you, you're yeah, saying you may not. These are very decadent. Sounds beautiful. Yeah. Um, Jill, may oh, we just still have a really our... nice meal planned? <laughs> um, Jill, I was just thinking, let's just remind um, uh, or give some background on Amanda um, for our listeners. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So um, so we got a little bit taken away with Corsica. So Amanda is known a little bit of as, as the champagne guru and soon we'll uh, touch on you know how this actually started, how that uh, champagne journey started for you. But um, she... Amanda is um, she has keynote speeches and masterclasses for Champagne um, in the corporate mm -hmm. sector and private, and uh, so we thought that's why I wanted to get Amanda on. And funnily enough, it was only about 
two weeks ago that I was actually no, just last week I was speaking with someone who met you and um, I was talking about the show and, and what I and what I did with wine and they said you must talk with her because she was just amazing so they heard one of your speeches and I thought oh well champagne end of the year that just made a lot of sense so that's that's kind of so being the champagne guru how about I hand it over to you Amanda to explain how you got it into the world of uh, champagne and wine Oh, that's, uh, that's so lovely that um, someone spoke to you about me. Yeah. It's yeah. been a long time coming. It's, um, I first, uh, I met my husband actually who's French on a flight. I was flying over to France and he was telling me about um, his brother was about to get married to a girl from Champagne. So I was only about 21 at the time and I didn't even know, like I'd never left Australia. I think I'd had Champagne to drink once in my life before. I didn't know Champagne was a region. And when he told me that his brother was getting married from to a girl from Champagne, I was like, what what's that even mean? So anyway, he told me all about Champagne. <laughs> I, I laugh now and I think how naive and green I was, but um. Anyway, we ended up going to Champagne and I, I just fell in love with the area. It's, mm. It was so beautiful. It's so beautiful. Mm. Yeah, it's just the rolling hills. The people are so warm. They're so generous. You can't go to a place like there's a, there's a lot of growers and um, little areas where you just stop and they have signs out the front, come in for tasting and they won't open a bottle and you can't leave until the bottle's finished and then they'll open another one if they think you've enjoyed it and then you learn so much. So I think what we know about Chat, well, what we knew back then, I'm talking like early 1990s in Australia, we probably knew some of the bigger brands like Mont and Chandon and Veuve Clicquot and maybe Paul Roger and Bollinger, those kind of bigger ones we'd heard of. But once you go there, there's so many there's thousands of growers and then essentially they're farmers who are growing their own grapes and bottling their own wines with their own labels and and they're very passionate about what they do and they want to tell you about it and if they think you're interested you just can't get away from them so I was very fortunate um we had moved to Belgium which is only about a three-hour drive from Epernay we didn't have any other family around us and we used to go down and visit my husband's in-laws, in-laws kind of thing, his brother's in-laws every other weekend because it was a, it was a short drive and um, it was just a lovely area. So they'd lived there all their life. They knew a lot of people. They'd ring up their friends and say, oh, I'm sending, you know, these people over. They're the ladies from Australia. She wants to learn about champagne. And it kind of went from there. We eventually moved back to Australia in 2006. So at that stage, I'd probably been visiting Champagne regularly for almost 15 years. Mm. And um, when we moved to Australia, I had three small children and uh, my husband had taken a break from his corporate work. He was working in um, the petrochemical industry and we decided it was a good chance to come back to, to Australia and before the kids got too old. And... Um, he was a bit bored and he started a little company importing truffles and caviar from Champagne because there was a bit of a hole in the market here. Mm -hmm. And um, he'd been at a wine shop and he couldn't understand why they didn't have any of the grower champagnes. They had all of the big, you know, all of the big houses and everything, but there was this big hole and he got talking to one of the good wine shops and they said, oh, this, nobody's bringing them into Brisbane. 
So we had a few good contacts in Champagne and asked them if they'd be interested in letting us bring their champagnes into Australia, which we did. And we thought, you know, it sounded like a good idea at the time. How hard could it be? We bring the champagne in and <laughs> people will buy it and it'll be wonderful. But <laughs> it wasn't quite that easy. No. Because then we were competing against all those big brands. So I realised pretty quickly that if we wanted people to buy our champagnes, I had to start educating them about them and why they should be drinking those champagnes. And um, I started mm. writing a blog uh, about champagne and about my experiences in France. And then I um, that blog got noticed by the Champagne Bureau, who is the sort of the governing body in Australia, and they invited me to take part in the Van de Champagne Awards, which at the time was a big sort of industry awards they had for champagne. They had two divisions. There were amateurs, so people who just loved champagne and professionals, but they made me go in the professional division with all the sommeliers and things. And wow. at this time, all I had was a love of champagne. I didn't have any formal training mm. in it. It was just all lived experience. Mm. Yeah. And um, anyway, I managed to get into the final of the top six palettes in Australia. So I was pretty pleased with that in the professional division. So after that, I got a little bit of confidence and I started doing masterclasses and um and hosting lunches. I do lunches every other month in Brisbane um, oh. that are going quite well. I've got quite quite the following of mainly ladies that come along every other month and I introduce them to a different champagne house with matching food at a lovely venue every other month. And um, then I started taking tours of um, small group tours over to Champagne every year. Of course, that all stopped with COVID, but I'm mm. going again next year, 2024. So, mm. yeah, it's just been quite organic the way it grew. And I That's think great. when you're enthusiastic about something, it, people are just drawn to you because they want to learn more. Yeah, that's yeah, absolutely. Uh, just quickly, so um, I actually live in the Gold Coast, um, so you know I can I get to Brisbane often. When is the next lunch? The next lunch I've got plans in. Uh, it's in March on the nineteenth of March. So Tuesday. Right. So I usually do Tuesdays. Historically, that was because uh, Tuesdays was always a very quiet day in restaurants. So I could kind of negotiate a lot with the chefs. They yes. weren't very. They were just happy to have people in the restaurants and. We could get different menus made up and it was they were happy to have me along. Uh, COVID changed a lot of that as well, unfortunately, because they started um, a lot of the restaurants or the smaller ones that used to be open for lunch during the week aren't open on Monday or Tuesday anymore. They're only open mm -hmm. often from Wednesday or Thursday. So yeah. it is getting a bit harder to do it Tuesday, but I'm stubborn and they're my Tuesday lunches and I love them <laughs> and my ladies love them. It's so good. <laughs> I just find somewhere that can do it on a Tuesday. And there's something very decadent about going to lunch on a Tuesday. Absolutely. And, and drinking champagne all day. <laughs> Absolutely. Well, 19th of March, I'll be there. I'll, um, I'll check out the details. So uh, all these details would be on your website, right? I know you've got... Yeah, there's an events page on my website um, on, um, that lists all of them. Or if people follow me on social media, I'm always um, saying what's coming up next and everything so too. I've got a mailing list if anybody know. contacts me and wants to be added to my mailing list. I usually send it out to the mailing list first before I start putting it all over the internet. But, um, sure. yeah. 
Okay, well, let's just, so it's Amanda Rabul, so Amanda, R-E-B-O-U-L dot com, and you can find, you'll find all the information there. So just quickly going back to, um, uh, so when you were importing the truffles, and of course, then you started with the uh, more boutique, small growers champagnes, did you find that it was a bit of a challenge to get people to invest the sort of money into buying champagne? I mean, you know, we're, we're speaking $100 a bottle, say. Um, yeah. on average. And uh, that is that is quite a lot for a lot of people. Of course, we still spend it. Um, but did you find any, did you find that that was a bit of a challenge when you were trying to introduce these lesser known brands to to people? Yeah, it's, it's a huge challenge because people mm. see champagne and, and quite rightly so. It's a bit of a, it's a, it's a prestige product and often people will buy it to take it to a friend's house. So they want to impress the person they're taking it to. So if you're looking, comparing two bottles of, say, you know, $70 and you're going to spend $70 on a bottle of, let's, for argument's sake, say Verve Clicquot that's got the lovely bright orange label mm. that everybody recognises yep. and is very posh or the same value on a grower champagne that's, nobody's heard of but it's probably mm. more interesting more complex and you know a lot more to talk about but nobody knows what it is so they're, they're not going to choose that one if they mm. don't think the person they're giving it to is going to be impressed and that's, that's right. just that's how it is I mean it's like you could get a beautiful handmade handbag by a leather maker in some beautiful village in Spain that's so beautifully made mm. it's the same price as a a, a Chanel bag, yeah. you're going to spend the money on the Chanel bag because people will be more impressed on it. So it's a similar phenomenon. So that's where the education comes in. Yeah. Yes. And it takes yep. a long, long time. But there will be okay. there will be people who they would, I mean, I'm one of them. I would love to know more about the growers' champagne and, and oh. I think probably going to the region ultimately is the, is the way to, to really learn that. But... Um, you know, these these education, you know, lunches and things that you're doing, um, you know, it means that you can help navigate people to those really interesting wines. Mm. You know? That's and, exactly right. And the other the other one is the masterclasses as well. So I love doing masterclasses where you can compare. I've got one coming up actually. I'm starting them ne uh, next year in a little wine shop called Wineism in Brisbane. And we're going to compare bigger brands and smaller brands. And that really gives people the, the chance to, you've got time to talk to them because when you do masterclasses, you, it, it's usually for smaller groups of about 20 people. So you can really talk to them. They're tasting exactly what's in their glass. And you can go into a lot more detail about why it tastes the way it does. Yeah. Um, yeah. And that's when people get a great appreciation. And the other thing I love doing, actually, I did a huge one the other day. It was for 60 people. It was a big corporate one. Wow. But I wouldn't tell them. I did it all blind. So one of the champagne, no, two of the champagnes we tasted, they would have known the name of, but they also would have formed an opinion of them before they even tasted them. And the other two were smaller growers that they wouldn't have heard of. So I told them I was going to tell them what it was at the end, but it was all about tasting the grapes and what the different um, flavour profiles were, and I didn't want them to be influenced by that little ticket on the front of the mm. bottle. Mm -hmm. And um, they found that really, really interesting because it's amazing what 
a label does to you. It really, there's this subliminal idea that you have about what you're going to taste before you've even put it in your mouth. And you take that whole perception away and you're just tasting what's in your glass and what's in your mouth. It's quite an amazing experience. So those kind of um it's, it is it is a type of blind tasting, but it's not a snobby blind tasting. It's not sort of some – there's no prize for anyone guessing what they're going to taste. It's just – it shows them the complexities of some of these grower champagnes because they are very, very complex. Mm. Um, but some people don't always appreciate that. Some people just want that lovely, fresh – they want to know what they're tasting and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think that's what's exciting about champagne is there's something for everyone. Mm. And there's Absolutely. an occasion occasion for different ones. And if you really want to savour a different grower and learn about it and have it over a meal with friends who really appreciate it as well, you can do that. But then you can also find a champagne that's, a you know, a coiffer that you just want to have with your girlfriends on a Friday afternoon or a oh. Tuesday lunch. <laughs> yep, yep. Look, do, can you actually uh, let us know some of your favourites? Is that are you, are, you allowed to, uh, are you allowed to have favourites? I don't really have fa- like, yeah. Like, I don't really have favorites because there's different occasions for different different ones. But there are some that I do sort of lean towards often. And, you know, the, my absolute favorites I can't actually even afford to drink. But that's another <laughs> story. <laughs> but um, as far as um, the bigger. Brent, the very, very first champagne I tasted that um, it was only on my 18th birthday and quite it was the first alcohol I'd ever tasted and that was Bollinger. And it's oh, a good start. That, yeah, it was a very good start. But I didn't really appreciate what I was drinking at the time. I just knew it was from France and it was expensive and that how lucky was I that someone gave me this to drink. But when I tasted it, it was like this amazing explosion in my mouth that I'll never forget that very, very first taste of champagne. So Bollinger, I have to say, has a very special place in my heart. Yeah, yeah, yeah um, absolutely. Along the way, I've met some wonderful people, some wonderful um, people at work in the different um, champagne houses and, and growers and, and chef de carves, the, the guys that make the champagne, mainly guys, some women. It's a very male-dominated industry. There's not many female winemakers mm. around there, but... Um, there's a there's a lovely young girl, Charlotte de Souza, in a little village called um, Aviz in the Cote de Blanc, which is an area that's really good for making Chardonnay. Uh, Chardonnay. It's really good for growing Chardonnay. It's just really chalky, and Chardonnay loves it, and it has a very distinctive flavour. And she's only oh, Charlotte's in her thirties, and she's taken over from her father, who had been making it um, for a long time, and she makes some beautiful champagnes but very hard to find in Australia Mm. some of the lovely growers that I love are quite hard to find there's a a grower that's a big grower called um Verfoni um that's also from that Cote de Blanc area we can find that in Australia sometimes in some of the not the bigger great big bottle shops but some of the smaller chains will have that one which I really quite like. It's a lovely story. Um, a woman. So Verve, that's another thing. People think Verve is that Verve click, call it all Verve. But there's a lot of somebody or others in Champagne because Verve means widow. And there's a lot of widows took over houses in Champagne when their husbands died in war or died yeah. in for illness, 
whatever. So there's lots of verbs. And um, verb flonny is quite a modern widow. Verb means widow in French. And um, so her, she had two sons who are a similar age to me and they weren't going to take their their father died when they were, I think the older one was nine or 11. They were around nine or 11 and the father died. So the mother took it over running the winery. She knew enough about it to keep it going and she had good support around her. So this would have been in the 70s, probably 1970s. The boys went off to London to study various different things. Neither of them wanted to be involved in champagne. But when they were... One was 21 and one was 23. One had finished his business studies and the other was in the middle of it. She said she'd had enough. She'd looked after them for so long and she was tired of running the champagne, the the winery, and um, if they didn't make up their mind in the next, I think she gave them 12 months to make up their mind if they wanted to take it over, she was going to sell it. Mm. And they realised that they actually did want to keep it in the family. They didn't want their mum to sell it. So... The older one who'd finished his business studies came back and he took over the business running side of, of, of it and his younger brother went and studied winemaking and came and um, took over the winemaking side of it and they gave themselves two years to see if they could get on together working together and they did. And I mean, that's about 30 years ago now, but it's still they've kept their mother's name, so for Fawny. I really love that. They're lovely, lovely guys and it's a lovely champagne as well. Mm. So there's little stories like that 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 That'd are be beautiful, great. yeah. Yeah, absolutely. and then of course I love, of course I love the the big like Perrier Wet Belle Epoque, all those beautiful ones. They're they're gorgeous. Mm. You just don't drink them every day. So <laughs> I mean, let's be honest. What's not to love about champagne? Like, okay, apart from the price of some, that's probably the, <laughs> the, the price. Thing. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm, I'm loving all these little stories and tidbits. Um, I've got to ask you about the art of sobrage. Is that something that you've attempted, or, or have you mastered, or? Yeah, well, actually, I'm. I am a knight of the golden saber in France. Oh. So, I've got a special um, certification. They have a, a club called the. Called the Sabre d'Or, which means Golden Saber, and it's mm. a big association of um, of people who love sabrage. And it was developed, I think, in the nineteen sixties. It was all about um, helping people or just promoting the enjoyment of drinking champagne. And you have to be initiated into this society. It's like not really a secret society, but it's a big thing in France. And uh, the grand master of it was a friend of friends of ours when we were living in a certain in a place called Chantilly in the north of Paris. And um, I'd seen an, uh, a show on TV in Australia about this sabrage and I saw some pictures on the wall in this restaurant and I said, I'm sure I saw this on TV in Australia a long time ago. And the guy said, yes, that's me. I'm the, I'm the grand master. Would you like to try it? I thought, oh, that would be lovely. So he initiated me in the restaurant full restaurant into the fireplace with the saber that he pulled off the wall of the restaurant. <laughs> just and explain then once you're initiated. People, Amanda, it, just explain because we see it um, on the telly um, when yeah. mum is sponsoring um, horse racing and things like that. Yeah. So it's yeah. it's literally, it's a saber, it looks like a sword that, yeah. that you take the it, end of the champagne bottle off. 
you, in, yeah, in you actually, it's very dangerous, actually. You, you <laughs> it is really, it, you have to be careful. Um, you actually cut through the glass at the top. So there's the ring of glass that under the cork. Mm. So you cut it and if it's done properly, it's cut off clean. Uh, and it works because the bottle's actually made like an Easter egg. There's two halves of a bottle welded together. And then there's a ring on the top of the bottle that, that makes the top of the bottle. So there's a weak spot on both sides of the bottle where the joints touch the ring of the bottle at the top. And um, you slide the blade up that seam on the bottle and hit it at the weak spot. And there's six atmospheres of pressure inside a, a champagne bottle. That's like three car tyres exploding. Mm. Wow. So you have to be careful. So this thing shoots off across the room with a cork <laughs> and glass around it. So it hits someone. It can take someone's eye out with it. It is actually, you can laugh about it, but it is actually quite dangerous. So not a good thing to do when you've had a few too many. You've got to keep your wits about you. But um, it is a lot of fun. And when you try it, you want to just keep doing it because it's quite a powerful feeling. Um, so, yeah, there's a few safety rules you have to follow when you do it. Um but yeah, and and a lot of people worry that because you've cut the glass that it's going you can't drink the champagne, but you can because the bubbles come out, all the pressure coming out forces the bubbles to foam out a bit, so you do lose a little bit. But that just pushes out any glass shards that might be there, so they're not going to fall back. It's just mm. physics that <clears throat> that comes out. So, so yeah, once I was initiated impressive. at this restaurant, I got yeah, I got invited to go. They have a big um. Once a year they have a big gala and um, anybody who is invited along to that and wants to participate has to stand up on stage in front of like 400 people and sabre your bottle and then you become a, a knight, you get knighted. Like they actually literally knight you with the <laughs> sabre on each of your shoulders wow. after you've done your thing properly. So <laughs> What an awesome ceremony. And, Look, I, I say congratulations on doing it because, you know, there's a lot of pressure involved in it. Excuse the pun. Yeah, the pun. yeah, there is that night. Yes. That night I was pretty worried. It was it was quite oh, it was like a Hollywood movie or something that night. It was quite funny, all the pomp and circumstance around it. But um <laughs> sounds fun. Once well, you've done that, theoretically then you're allowed to teach other people how to do it. Wow. So, yeah. Well, look, I'm I'm loving all this. We've only got a couple of minutes left. So um, thank you for your stories. But final question is, what champagne are you going to be cracking tonight to celebrate the end of 2023? Well, there's a, there's a couple of secrets. I know my husband's bought some from Australia that he's got hiding in the suitcase. Oh. And then I've got some, um, there's a grower one that we like that's called Baron Fuente that's from the edge of champagne. It's just... Um, uh, little grower so that's a little family one that we quite like together that we're having and then I'm waiting for the surprise but I think my surprise might be a vintage Bollinger that I've had um, <laughs> oh, waiting for the right time it's pretty special to be with our family so we've got my mother-in-law who's 91 as I said and her sister and her husband who are here with us as well so it'll be quite I'm, I think we'll be pushing it I think we might get to midnight I mean I got there tonight they lasted <laughs> They lasted until 11.30 watching TV with me so that I could stay up and talk to you. So. Mm. <laughs> oh, that's I love the family support. Look, Amanda, thank you so much. And I actually keep forgetting that it is now 12.30 in the morning for you. So, no, um, that's well, well right. now we can say Happy New Year's Eve to you. But thank you so much for your time. I look forward to meeting you in March. 
I'll um, I'll, yes, I'll love to see you at Jill that Ann. lunch for sure. And, yeah, and um, so we're gonna. <laughs> Jill, Eve, I think Ange wants to come as well. So you might oh, have sold t- two tickets today. That's it. Everyone's cool. welcome. The more the yeah, merrier. Yes, keep in touch, and I'd love to come back and talk another time as well really. if you'd like fun. me to. Yeah. We'd love that. Thank you so much, Amanda. Okay, you go and no get problem. a good sleep and have a wonderful New Year's Eve.